Thank you so much for being with us. We're excited to have you here on uh, various different things. Let's imagine Sunday, Choir Sunday, and the Blessed Life series lesson one. I'm Pastor John. I'm privileged to serve under Pastor Harold and Renee Hoffman here at First Church. I'm the next uh, steps pastor, and so it's a it's a privilege to serve here and to be on this team. Um, I would like to. I would I would regret it if I didn't say how proud I am of this amazing lady right here, this godly woman that God has allowed me to go through life with. It's, uh, it's what I've always prayed for and asked for, um, is that it, it, it wouldn't be my ministry and she would be helping support my ministry. I've never wanted that. I've always wanted to do ministry together. And, and Talisha, you have been an amazing, godly woman and uh, anointed. I think one of the reasons why FC Heart is so successful is, is because of that verse that I read. To heal the brokenhearted, to set liberty to the captives. That's, that's the, the goal of Jesus Christ. That's the goal of God, is to heal and redeem and repair what has been broken or damaged. And when we align ourselves with what He wants... The anointing and provisions accompany what he orders. And so we're excited for FC Heart to watch God bless and anoint that. And uh, I'm proud of you. Proud of you. But uh, this begins our Blessed Life series. Uh, The Blessed Life series is something that we do here at First Church every year. It is from a book uh, from a man by the name of Robert Morris. So all of this information, I'm not the smart guy. he is, and, and I'm teaching what he studied, okay? But there are so many amazing uh, scriptures and principles that are found in God's Word. And if I were to ask you today, if God established in His Word specifically something about finances that would allow Him to bless your finances, and if we don't do it, it would, it would hold Him to cursing your finances. Which one would you rather have? Your finances blessed or your finances cursed? That's a no-brainer, right? Right? No-brainer. But the truth is, this whole series is not a series about money and finances at all. That's part of it. But the truth is, it's a heart issue. It is something that God is trying to establish in our hearts and reveal in our hearts. Um, so I've got just a, just one verse of scripture real quick. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Okay. It's profitable. So I, I'm always leery of people who don't teach the Bible in its entirety because the Bible teaches that it's all profitable. There's value no matter what it is that you're reading in scripture, there's value and there's profitability in it. Um, so I want to do, do a deep dive into what God's word actually says regarding finances. Okay, How many people know that there is a chain, a rope that is attached from your heart to your wallet? Have you ever felt that way? Two weeks ago, I had to put tires on my daughter's Jeep. It was $1,000 for rubber. It hurt. It was painful. I opened my wallet and I paid that and I'm like, oh Jesus, this one, this one hurts. 
Okay? That's because they're connected. That's why the Bible teaches this. It's in Matthew 6.21. It says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay? God's establishing this concept and this principle here that, that wherever you invest your money into, wherever your treasure is at, your heart's going to be there. I, I, I remember um, a few years ago when cryptocurrency kind of became this thing. And, um, you know, some of the, the members in this church were involved in cryptocurrency. And it was kind of like, you know, there was a circle of people who were in it. And, uh, you know, they all had the apps on their phones. And it's like, hey, did you see what, see what Bitcoin did overnight? You know, it's like, yeah, you remember, you know, Ethereum? You remember, you know, that Dogecoin? Anybody familiar with any of that? Okay. There was apps on phones and it was conversation and it was, you know, wake up and see what it did the night before. Cause I guess why your money's there. And so now you're paying attention to where your treasure is at because your listen, your, your heart follows your treasure. It's not the other way around. Right? So you cannot say that your heart is in the kingdom. If your money is not in the kingdom, it's, that's a lie. It cannot be because God's word is true and it can't be an error. So there are things that God wants to, to, to deal with us on. Remember I said it was a heart issue. It's not a money issue. Um, and God has in scripture in Deuteronomy 15, um, I believe four things regarding our heart that God wants to, to deal with or to develop in us. The first thing is God wants to deal with a selfish heart. Okay? We don't have a hard time um, being selfish. If we're all just kind of being real and being transparent, it's easy to be selfish, right? But it's hard to be unselfish. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7 through 9. Um, this, is, this is a few verses of Scripture. Um, essentially, I'll just read it. If there be any among you a poor man of one by thy brethren with any of thy gates in the land which the Lord God giveth thee. Thou shalt not harden thy heart, nor shut thy hand from the, door, um, from the poor brother. But thou shalt open thy hand wide unto him. Thou shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware. Everybody said beware. beware. That there not be a thought in thy wicked heart saying, in the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not, and he cry out to the Lord, and it becomes a sin unto thee. God calls a selfish heart a wicked heart. And, and what this is talking about is there was a concept in Israel where, where there was something known as the year of Jubilee, and, and, and if you were in debt or you had lost some property or you lost your house, that year of Jubilee, it would be restored or given back to you. Okay? How many people wish that we still we practice the year of Jubilee in America? Imagine everybody else, everybody's house is paid off, right? How amazing is that? Um, but that's what they practice. And, and what the scripture is saying, hey, if somebody asks you for a loan, don't have selfishness or wickedness in your heart. Even if that, that year of release is ahead and you know that if you lend somebody $10,000 and in six months that debt has to be forgiven, lend it anyway. Because that, that is an unselfish heart. And God's trying to establish this, this unselfish heart. Um, I have a question for everybody. Um, where do you think giving comes from? 
Have you ever asked yourself questions like that? Like, like uh, why do we love? It's because we're made in his image and in his likeness. He loves, so we love. Okay, pretty simple. He gave, so we give. Giving comes from God. But why would God establish in his scripture the, I believe, I call it the power of giving. Why would God establish that? It's not because he needs money, right? You, you know the scripture that we all get to heaven, you know, the streets are paved with gold. You know, there's the, the drywall is diamonds and rubies and sapphires and, and God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Does that sound familiar to anybody? God does not need your money. But God established a, a pathway of obedience to where he could, he could develop our hearts because it's not about money, it's about your heart. And giving deals with the issues of the heart. Um, number two, so deal with the selfish hearts, number one. Number two, deal with a grieving heart. In Deuteronomy 15, verse 10, it says, Thou shalt surely give to him, to him and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest to him. Because for this thing, the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all your works and all that thou puttest thy hand to. God's trying to deal with our grieving heart. Now, this is an example I like to use in this room. Now, get ready. Is there anybody in this room who has any money that they're willing to give to me? Okay, is there anybody? Jason had his hand up first. Why don't you come on up here? Praise the Lord. This is not for First Church. This is for me. Bro, he's got a hundy. What kind of guy walks around with hundies in his pocket? You dress so nice. Isn't he dressed nice, ladies and gentlemen? We, we have an award for best dressed here every year. Man, oh man, I think you ought to get it. But are you grieved because you gave me that? Because... You, you're cheerful. Okay. Why aren't you grieved? I'll tell you why he's not grieved. Is because before service, I gave him this $100 to give to me. Okay. He's not grieved because it wasn't his. And when you understand that tithing and what God establishes in, in the word. The only reason why we're able to go to work is because he's given me health in this body. That he's given me sanity in my mind. He's given me talents or abilities to perform skills or tasks that earn money. God's given me that. I did not earn that. I didn't develop that. That comes from him. And so when God is saying, hey, the tithe belongs to me, People who, who give with a grieving heart, they mistake the concept that they thought that money belonged to them. And that's why it hurts. Like when I was paying the tires, that was my money because I had already returned the tithe to God. So that hurt. When you give back to God what's already His, it doesn't hurt. You do it cheerfully because you understand it's His anyway. I'm just giving it back to the one who gave it to me. And that's how you develop or deal with a grieving heart. Number three, God is trying to develop in each and every one of us a generous heart, a generous heart. Uh, Deuteronomy 15, verse 14, 
Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor, out of thy winepress. Of what wherewith the Lord God hath blessed thee with, thou shalt give unto him. God is trying to develop a generous heart. When you have a generous heart, we've all seen people. This isn't, it isn't an isolated instance where somebody is just generous. This, this heart that God's trying to develop in each and every one of us, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's a way of life. And, and when I think of somebody who has a generous heart, a generous lifestyle, I have no better example that I can think of than Pastor Sister Hoffman. That this is just how they live. Nothing's held like this. Everything, who needs what? And it's, hey, who needs to stay at our house? Who, who, who needs us to host for something? Who, like, there's always something that they, are, that they are giving out generously. And aren't you thankful that you get to go to a church where you have leadership like that? And if you're watching online, Pastor Sister Hoff, we love you. We hope you're enjoying your time in, uh, in Mexico. But this, this generous heart has to become a, a generous lifestyle. Number four is develop a grateful heart. A grateful heart. Deuteronomy 15, 15, it says, Thou shalt remember that thou was a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today. It's, a, it's such an amazing thing. God is reminding the, the people that he, are, he is talking to, they used to be slaves in Egypt. And, and the plagues and the miraculous hand of God, God got them out of that bondage and out of that slavery. It is an Old Testament representation of us. Okay, everything, the Bible says, everything that was written about them was written for our learning. Like our example, we, we learn a lot about the church in the wilderness, okay? And so God is saying, you know what? You need to remember that you weren't always free. And, and so many times as Christians, especially the longer you get down this path of salvation and Christianity, you can start because there can be a lot of time in between when you were saved and where you're at now. But... But God is telling us to remember what it was like. Remember before Christ found you. Remember before you experienced His presence and His power and, and His love that we felt today. Do you remember that time when you didn't, ha you didn't experience that? And God's telling us, you know what? You need to remember what I've done for you. And when you do... When you think of who you are, when I think of who I was before, before Christ, okay, I was saved in, in 93, but I wasn't always faithful. Wasn't always faithful. There's a big period of my life where I was a mess, and I remember what the mess felt like. I remember what the mess did and, and, and my thoughts and my actions. I remember that. And so it's not hard for me to have a grateful heart because now I stand redeemed. Now I stand repaired. I know what joy is. I know what love is. I know what peace feels like. I know what the blessing of God on my life feels like. I, I know and I relate to, to David when he said, my cup runneth over because everywhere I turn in my life, I see the hand of God and the blessing. It's not always, it's not always good times, but I know what it's like to be blessed and called of God. And so it's not hard for me to have a grateful heart. The Bible says it like this, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. 
right? We need to remember that and allow that to create in us a grateful heart because God is after your heart. It's, it's his mission. It's his goal. He's after your heart and he'll test your heart. All right. Um, in fact, every time that you get paid, you take a test every time. How many people in this room get paid monthly? Is there anybody who gets paid monthly? How many people get paid every two weeks? Most of you. Every week? Okay, how many people don't get paid at all? All right, we're going to pray for you guys. We're in, a, we're in a campaign here. Praise the Lord. But every time you get paid, you take a test. I want to read to you um, out of Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 6 through 11. Okay? It says, For I am the Lord, I change not. We've heard that. They say, God, yesterday, today, forever, we've heard that. He says, I'm the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. How would you like to have God say that to you? Did you catch it? He says, I don't change, sons of Jacob. That's the only reason why you're not destroyed. Because he's talking to Israel and they have left his ordinances. It says, um, even from the days of your father, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. God's saying, I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sons of Jacob, and, and I can't change. That's the only reason why you're not destroyed. Like, that's a pretty firm thing to say to a group of people. And, and it gets their attention. As, and God says, return to me, and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you have said, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, where have we robbed thee? In tithes and in offerings. So God is saying, hey, you're, you're stealing from me. You're robbing from me. I want you to return to me. And God's saying, when you return to me, you've got to return in tithes and offerings because you have stolen it from me. And this is the promise that God gives. He says, you're cursed with a curse. They've stolen the tithe and now they're cursed. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, which is the house of God, the church, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground, neither shall the vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. That ought to be enough for us. I should be able to stop this, and everybody is sold out on tithing, and God's saying, hey, you don't return the tithe, you're cursed with a curse. You do return the tithe. He says, I'll open up the windows of heaven. I'll pour out a blessing you can't contain. As if that's not good enough, he says, I'll even rebuke the devourer for your sake. That's a promise that God gave to his people. And, and, and it ought to be enough, but we're going to continue on. Uh, when, when we study that, that word tithe, in the Hebrew, it literally means the tenth part. That's where we get that, that number, 10%, right? And, and so you might ask, why? Why, God, is it 10%? I believe one of the reasons is because it's fair to everybody, okay? It doesn't matter if you're making $300 or if you're making $300,000. That 10% is the same, and it's fair. How many people wish our federal government operated like God does, right? Praise the Lord, me too. 
But every time uh, uh, throughout Scripture, when you read about the number 10, it's associated with a test. Remember I said, God is testing your heart. And He's after your heart. So I, we're going to play a little game here. And, it, and it's going to require you to, to be engaged. I'm going to ask you a question. And it's going to need a response, okay? So I'm going to list some examples. And, and you might notice a pattern, okay? Remember, the number 10 is associated with a test. All right. How many plagues were there in Egypt? Come on, we can do better. Ten. Ten. Another way I could word that is how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? Okay? Thank you. Um, another one. How many commandments are there? Ten. Ten. How many times um, did God test Israel in the wilderness? How many times were Jacob's wages changed? Do you notice a pattern? Cal, you got a pattern? You notice? You getting it? All right. How many days was Daniel tested? How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation? How many disciples are there? Who messed me up? Were you here in the first service? There's 12 disciples. That was just a test. We had some smart people over here that said 12. But um, it's just a test. God associates the number 10 with a test. And so that for something in God's wisdom that he decided 10% was what he required, was what belonged to him. Okay? Now, I need to address something that... Um, kind of going on in Christianity right now, there is something that, that is referred to as a dispensation of grace. And, and, and most people believe that that's where we're at in the church age. The, the problem with um, some of that theology, and I don't disagree with that, but it doesn't mean that because we're in this period of grace that we can live however we want to live, and it doesn't matter and all that Old Testament stuff is, is the law, and that's the Old Testament, and that's not for us because we're in this dispensation of grace, and we're after Calvary, and it's a different ballgame for us, okay? So I want to address that. It's in Matthew 5, verse 17 through 20, and I'll go ahead and read that. This is Jesus talking, okay? He says, think not that I'm, I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot, not one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in your kingdom. For I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness of grace has to exceed the righteousness of the law. It's a greater truth. It's a greater principle. Imagine how crazy this is. People who say the law doesn't matter and the Old Testament doesn't apply to us. I want you to think about how crazy this would be. Think of the law says, we know the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not commit murder. That was under the law. 
Is there anybody in this room, anybody online listening that would say, you know what, that's under the law, that's the Old Testament, it doesn't apply to us, we can go ahead and kill whoever we want to kill. Does that sound crazy to you? Or, or adultery, like that was under the law, that was Old Testament, no, right now we're under grace, you can do whatever you want to do, you can commit adultery and, and don't worry, Jesus has paid the price and you can live however you want to live. That sounds crazy to me. But can you imagine, think about this, remember what Jesus taught? He says, the law says, don't commit murder. But I say to you, don't have anger in your heart. It's a greater truth. The law says, don't commit adultery. Jesus says, don't have lust in your heart. It's a heart issue. It's always been a heart issue. And and that's what God is teaching here, that the righteousness of grace always exceeds the righteousness of the law. So if you're somebody that says, I don't need to tithe because that's Old Testament, that's the law that doesn't apply to the New Testament church, you better be very careful about that. Because what Jesus is teaching is that that it needs to exceed the law. You you probably then should probably start giving 15% to the tithe, perhaps 20%, because you have to exceed the law. Right? Does that make sense? So tithing is very biblical. And, and I know we're talking about the law and we're talking about New Testament, but um, what if I told you that tithing is a principle and a concept that's established throughout Scripture? In fact, what if I told you that tithing existed 500 years before the law was written? There's somebody by the name of Abraham. Abraham, and I don't have time to get sidetracked with with who Abraham is, and he's fabulously wealthy, and he comes across this high priest by the name of Melchizedek. He's a very interesting person in Scripture that that theologians debate on on who he was truly, and and the the reality is we don't truly know. But um, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek 500 years before the law was written. Okay, And 100 years after that, 400 years before the law was written, Jacob paid tithes to God. He said, surely I'll, I'll pay you a tenth of all. Okay? So we know that tithing predates the law. But you say, well, that's still Old Testament, right? What if I told you that Jesus himself said that you ought to tithe? Would you be willing to tithe then? If Jesus said it, you know I'm setting you up, right? Okay. I would like to go ahead and turn to Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and leave the others, not leave the others undone. Jesus is saying, you know what, you're tithing. Think of how detailed these, these scribes and Pharisees are. Mint, anise, and cumin are actually spices. They're tithing on their pepper. Can you imagine getting a new can of pepper and and trying to weigh out 10% of the bottle and and returning that to God? And Jesus is saying, you know what? You ought to do that. These you ought to have done, but don't leave the, the, the weightier matters undone. So Jesus himself is saying, you ought to tithe, right? Now, as if that's not enough. What if I told you that Jesus himself receives your tithe? You ever heard this verse? 
it, it jumped out to me again with study and preparation for this. Um, but there is a scripture in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. It says, Here men that die receives tithes, but there, there he receiveth them, of who it is witness that he liveth. When you put your tithes in this or you get your phone out, I mean, I think most of us do that online right now. It's not just going to the church bank account. Sure, men, men that die receives our tithe here. But what Hebrews is teaching, it's, it's not received by men. Jesus Christ himself, of whom it is witnessed that he lives, he re- there he receives it. And, and that's what I do. I'll just be transparent. When, when I get paid and I get out my tithely app and I, and I, and I get ready to return my tithe unto the Lord, and, and I've got a picture in my mind of what, of what Jesus looks like. And, um, and when I worship and when I, when I pray, I'm picturing that, that exchange of worship or that, that verbal communication to this person. It, it helps me to visualize what, what he looks like. And, and that's what I do. When I return my tithe, I say a prayer. I say, I say I'm grateful, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that you have blessed me so that I can bless the kingdom. I'm grateful for that, and I, and I honor you in it, Lord. And, and I return this to you. I don't say I return it so Pastor Mike can get it. I don't say, I, Lord, I, I'm thankful that Pastor Hoffman's going to get this money because he receives my tithe not Pastor Hoffman, Jesus Christ himself receives the tithe because I believe tithing is very personal to Jesus Christ. Let me paint you a picture. Imagine that I'm going away on business for, for six months and my wife Talisha is not going to be going with me. She's going to be staying here and um, I... I have set up finances to where she's going to be taken care of. She'll be okay. But I want to um, make sure that she's got extra provisions, that she's, that she's going to be very well taken care of. So while I'm away on business, I'm going to find, I'm going to find three people. Okay, We're going to have Pastor Mike, Jason, and Ashley. All right? I'm going to send each one of these people $10,000 per month while I'm gone. And now the deal is, I'm gone for six months. You're each going to get 10 grand a month. What I'm asking of you is to take that $10,000 and take 1,000 of it and you give it to my wife, okay, until I return. Does that sound like a good deal? Okay. Now, Felicia's like, yeah, that sounds really good. Now, Let's say four months into this, I'm calling Talisha and I said, hey, by the way, how's that extra money that I, that I got coming to you? How's that working out? And she says, you know what? We should probably talk about that. Ashley is doing a great job, doing a fantastic job. It's the first of the month, that $1,000, it shows up. I don't have to worry about it. It's there month after month, very consistent, just like you, you instructed her to do. He says, and you know what, Jason? He's doing, he's doing unbelievable. He's giving me 2000 I don't know why, 
but every month there's 2,000 from Jason. And I said, okay, great. Well, what about Pastor Mike from Boston? And she says, you know what? We got to talk about Pastor Mike. You know, the first month there was 700. The second month he, he sent me 400. And the third month, I haven't seen anything yet. How do you think that's going to make me feel? Very bad. Because I'm giving him 10000 a month to take care of my bride. God has given you resources, and the only thing he's telling you to do, he says 10% comes back to my house. Because I'm going away, but I'm coming back. And while I'm gone, you've got to take care of my bride. Are we not the bride of Christ? It's our honor and our privilege to be able to take care of his bride. It's a very, very personal thing to Jesus Christ. Um, I would like to talk to you now about the principle of, of first. Um, in fact, everything that I've said up until now, um, this, is, this is probably the most important. Um, so, so pay attention. Um, Exodus 13, uh, 12 through 13. I'll just go ahead and read this. Thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix. <laughs> that was easier in my 30s. I, I always risk, uh, you know, jokes because I, I, I realize that I'm getting older. In fact, I asked my daughter if she would understand that joke. And um, she just looked at me like I was crazy. And I'm like, well, I think that came out in 99. So most of our young people weren't even born, right? Um, so, so my age is becoming, uh, I'm getting older. But uh, for those of you who laughed, thank you. The matrix, we're not talking about Neo. It's, it, it means a womb. All right, and, and that's, that's all that that means. He says, Thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the womb, and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, all the males shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of a donkey thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children thou shalt redeem. Right? So here is, here is it in a nutshell. That sounds, don't worry, they're not leaving. I have not offended them. We're getting ready for a baptism. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This concept of the first fruits, of the first in God, God's establishing this with the children of Israel. He's saying, you know what? Um, if you have an animal that gets born, and it's a clean animal. And, and the Bible, I don't have time to talk about clean versus unclean. But there are clean animals and then there are unclean animals. If it is a clean animal and it is the firstborn male, that animal has to be sacrificed. Okay? It's a blood sacrifice. Okay? And, and so that's what God established. He says, but if there is an unclean animal that is the firstborn male, he says, you've got two choices with it. If you want to keep it, you have to redeem the unclean with the clean. Okay? So if you have, the example is, if you have a donkey and it's a firstborn male, 
you, you, and you want to keep that, you have to have a clean animal to sacrifice in its place. And that is called redemption. You are redeeming the unclean with a clean. Does that make sense? If you don't have a clean to redeem the unclean, the bad news is God says you got to break the neck of the unclean. Okay? I hope you're getting a little bit ahead of me right now as I'm talking to you. Because is there anybody in this room that says they were born clean? Nobody. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've got news for everybody. We're all in the same boat together. Nobody's greater than anybody else. Everybody's screwed up. Everybody's got faults, okay? That's, that's the reality of humanity. But we are unclean. So with what God has established is this unclean has to either have its neck broken or I have to be redeemed with something that's clean. This is what Calvary is all about, right? We know that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. That when he died as clean, it allowed the unclean to live. Thus, we have been redeemed. When we bring to God the first, he redeems the rest. Isn't that amazing? So you think, my Pastor John, what in the world has this got to do with money? Like, why are we talking about this? It's, it's part of what's getting ready to happen in just a few moments. There is a redemption process that is extended to humanity. And it starts with repentance. All that means is, I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I won't make it without, without a king, without my Redeemer. That I was walking this way, and because of experience, the Word of God, what I feel, what I've been taught, I can't keep going this way. It's a changing of direction. That's repentance. It's, true repentance demands change. Then, the Bible says, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Right? This is a powerful, powerful... Remember I talked about the stain of sin on humanity? We were all in Adam when he sinned. Okay? This not only washes away your sin, but it washes away the sin that was in the beginning. And you become thus a new creation in Christ. Because until you've washed away both of those stains of sin, you've never existed before. You're a brand new creation. It's an amazing feeling. You watch when you come out of that water, there's going to be smiles. There's going to be victory and freedom. It's a powerful experience. And then the Bible teaches that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's what I was talking about. When things go up, things come down. When Jesus went up, the anointing came down in Acts chapter 2. That's the power of the Holy Ghost that is available today. It's not an isolated thing that happened thousands of years ago. It happens all the time. And it can happen to you today if you've never experienced this amazing supernatural experience. Okay? And so we're talking about redemption. We're talking about bringing to God what is first and what he said was his and belonged to him. And when we do that, the rest is redeemed. That's why we're talking about it in the Blessed Life series. When we return the tithe, what God said was his, what God said belonged to him, when we return it unto him, he redeems the rest. Because tithing requires faith. 
to believe that 90% with the blessing of God on it is greater than 100% without it. We return the 10th, the 90's redeemed. If we don't return the 10th, you remember what happens when we don't redeem? What happens? Your neck's got to get broke. Does anybody want your finances broke? I don't think so. Return the first to him. He redeems the rest. It puts the blessing of God on your finances. It's a powerful, powerful princess, well, not princess, concept and principle. It's okay, you can laugh. It's not a princess. <laughs> Proverbs 3 and 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. This, this tithing way of lifestyle and returning to God, this first 10%, that's why you get paid on Friday. You can't pay your cell phone bill on Friday afternoon. You get paid on Friday, you can't send it to the mortgage company. Because the tithing has to not only be the 10%, the tithing has to be the first 10%. Because the mortgage company doesn't have power to redeem what's left. Only Christ has that power. Okay? And, and, and that's why the Lord says, honor the Lord with your substance. Um, with all the first fruits of that increase. It's amazing. Um, uh, for years, I used to think that my, my paycheck that I earned is what I should tithe on. Then I realized, I'm reading about this, and it says, all your increase. That means when I get a Christmas present, and it's, a, it's, a, it's some cash, that's increase, Right? When I get a Christmas bonus, or I get a bonus through the year, or I get some unexpected money come my way, it's, it's of my increase, okay? And God says that 10% first is mine. You can keep the rest, okay? Exodus 23, 19, it says, The first of the first fruits of the land thou shalt bring unto the house of the Lord thy God. Again, the tithe has to come to the church house. You cannot send the tithe to a missionary. Maybe I, maybe I hit the nail on the head with that. The tithe has to come to the storehouse, has to come to the house of God. You cannot send the tithe um, um, half to a church that, that you're supporting elsewhere and half to this church. That's not what God established. This isn't our rules. This is God's rule. It has to come to the church that you belong to. The tithe comes to the church, all right? Um, notice the word, the first of the first fruits. It's like God knew we'd have a little bit of a hard time understanding this, this concept of first. He says, hey, listen, the first of the first fruits sounds a little redundant, but we should pay special attention to that. Um, have you ever wondered, you know, you, you heard the story of, of Cain and Abel in the Old Testament, um, they both brought sacrifices to God. You ever wonder why, why God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain? I have this scripture. I like to read it real quick. Um, it says, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought the, um, forth the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel also brought the firstling of the flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and unto his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance failed. Did you notice that Abel, it says he brought the firstlings of the flock? 
A lot of people believe it's because Abel brought a, a, a animal sacrifice. He brought a blood sacrifice. And, and God's into blood sacrifices because he's the Lamb of God, and that's Calvary. And, and Cain brought the cursed thing, right? The, the fruit of the ground and brought that to God. And some people think that. that I don't believe that's the case. Um, I, I believe that they bro- both brought um, an acceptable sacrifice, except the one thing that violated Cain's is it wasn't first. Abel brought the firstlings of the flock. And when he talks about Cain, it says, in the process of time, it came to pass. That means he got around to it when he felt like it. And it wasn't the first fruits. Because if it, if it was only about a blood sacrifice or a fruit sacrifice, Corinthians teaches that Jesus Christ himself is our first fruits, right? So why would Jesus Christ himself not accept the first fruits? It's a feast of, of Israel in the Old Testament. It was because it wasn't first. Cain brought something that wasn't first. And there are things that God will never be able to do. We know that scripture teaches that, that uh, I'm the way, I'm the truth, right? God is truth. It's, it's, it's who he is. And because he is truth, he can't lie. He's, the Bible said he's not a man that he should lie. There's no God, we like to say God can do anything, right? And it sounds good. It's inspirational. But the truth is that's not accurate. God cannot lie. You know what else God can't do? God can't think the way you and I think. Never in God's existence has he ever said, why didn't I think of that? Because he's, he's omniscient. And that word omniscient is omniscience. It means God has all knowledge. There's nothing that God wonders about. There's nothing that stumbles God. There's nothing that causes God to say, you know what, I've got to try to find a solution to this problem. I I wonder what I'm going to do. God doesn't wonder. He knows all things. So he can't think the way you and I think. And something else that God can't do, he cannot be second. He understands who he is. He says, I've searched. There's just me. There's nobody like him. And when, when you understand how, how amazing God is, it's, it's easy. It's easy to prioritize him. It's easy to put him first or to bring the first fruits to him because, because there's none like him. And that's that heart of gratitude that we have. And, and God, God is, is so amazing that it's easy to return the first fruits of our tithing to him. Does that make sense? Can we stand? We're getting ready. I know that, that we're getting ready to have a baptism, so um, we'll just go ahead. Why don't you come on up to the front? I hope that you have enjoyed this message. This isn't about money. First Church is not after your money, all right? Um, we don't do this sermon every year or this series every year because, you know, the bank account's getting a little bit low and, and we need to, you know, bump up the account. That's not what this is about. We do this every year, not for our benefit, but for yours. Because I've been on the other side of this, this lifestyle and, and this God dealing with my heart and God, God teaching me what you'll learn next week, the miracle of multiplication, all right? This is an amazing blessing, an amazing way of life that God established for you in his word. 
And so look forward to next week. We're going to go ahead and, uh, you know, play something. Pastor Mike's in the, in the tank already. When this, hey, listen, when they go down in the name of Jesus Christ, there ought to be a, a, a praise and a worship so loud that, that Satan's going to hear it in hell himself. All right. So I want there to be a, a worship and a, and a celebration. We're going to rejoice with those that rejoice us. In Jesus' name. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, everyone overcome.